Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And it's B-Sides. Uh, we're doing X-Factor number 69, which is like part three of the Mirror Island saga, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I would necessarily call it a B-Side because it, it's got X-Men. It continues the, the Mirror Island saga story. So it's a, it's an A-Side. Featuring X-Factor. Cover price of a dollar, uh, on sale, let me see, uh, cover date of uh, August 1991, on sale June 25th of 1991. This one's titled Clash Reunion? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Clash Reunion. Sure. Okay. <laughs> there, There's a clash in uh, this issue. In fact, they, they perform, uh, you know, their hit song. I don't know where I'm going with that. Uh, no, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a pun, Adam. You like puns. I, I like good puns. <laughs> uh, the cover's not great. Uh, it's got Colossus in the background, who's who's overly muscle bound. You've got the professor, and if you didn't really know what was happening, you might not even know that that's the professor. But he looks naked and gold, uh, and he's being mind blasted by, I guess, the Shadow King embodiment. And I'm going to guess that that's Agent Reese. Whose, whose head is very large there, or his mouth is very large. Oh, I thought this was Venom. Well, I mean, that's easily to, to easy to make that mistake. because No, I didn't Venom think it was Venom. Although, with the coloring, I almost missed the professor. Yeah. Is that Valerie Cooper in the background with a giant gun? Uh, either that or, or somebody from uh, that island. Mirror, the, Mirror the, Island? No, the, the other island. Mirror McTaggart? No, the other island. Siren? No, the other island. What other island? Yeah, there's the, no other island. Yeah, Genosha. It looks like a Genosian uh, person with the with the green outfit and the big gun. Oh yeah, that's a deep cut. Oh well, it's not that bad has nothing to cut. do with this issue. How was I possibly going to know you were talking about Genosha? <laughs> I don't know. Leap of faith. <laughs> I don't know who that would be. Uh, I guess we'll go with uh, uh, Valerie Cooper, even though she's dead, as we've seen in previous pages of the X Men. Professor X versus Shadow King in final battle. This isn't really going to be the final battle, though, I don't think. It's, that's like a barely a constructed sentence. <laughs> Professor X versus Shadow King in the final battle. But then there's an exclamation mark. So they're just saying, in final battle. I mean, it works, but I don't like it. Speaking of grammar, Adam, this came up the other day. Uh for whatever reason, we were looking up bands of the 90s and Toad the Wet Sprocket came up. Okay. Uh, and since there's no comma between Toad and the Wet Sprocket, uh, I was wondering, like, is it a command? Well, because it's banned, I think it gets special rules where it is whatever they wanted it to be. Hmm. Um, but yes, if it was a sentence, then it would all just be one big Toad the Wet Sprocket. It's like toad would be the verb. I mean, you know, toad isn't a verb. <laughs> it so isn't. It's just sort of confusing. You're using it as a verb. But like, yeah, you, you, you could. Uh, hey, you hey could Adam, get over there. Toad and... is being used as a verb. Yeah. There, sure. Adam, get over there and toad that wet sprocket. <laughs> and you're like, what? What am I doing here? Uh, anyways, that was a fun grammar aside, folks. Use your commas appropriately and people will know what you're talking about. Or don't. And or... people will figure it out. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young opt to not use the Oxford comma, but they do have commas. And it's, again, that's because they're bands. But I don't think there's any hard and fast rules on Oxford commas. I think there's just some people that very much prefer it and others that don't care. 
think the rule of thumb is if you're in a band, you don't want to have uh, grammar in your t- in your band name. Punctuation. Unless, unless yeah. you're like a, a pretentious band like Godspeed You, Black Emperor. Exclamation point. Yeah. Well, the exclamation point comes after the U. Oh, is that an actual band, Adam? Yes, it is. Oh, nice. And they got a lot of punctuation in their in their band name. Just this, just that one, okay. just that exclamation point point after you. Well, there you go. So yeah, let's open this thing. I mean, the cover's not great. Uh, let's open this <laughs> thing up. Yeah. No, really, we would be talking more about it if it was. Yeah. And not grammar. Yeah. <laughs> just shows you how this is a pretty average cover. It's not. It's not terrible by any means. It's just you know, it's it's very uh, of the times. Yes. So we open up the book and everybody's mad at everybody. The whole country, perhaps the entire world uh, is angry. And this really lacks, in my opinion, I mean, we've talked about this before, and I think Chris Claremont had a much broader version of like how this would all play up and ultimately get to the whole final mutant wars battle thing. Um, but the thing that kind of pulls this out of you know, things that we've done in the past is that when, when they were working on the Inferno storyline, they kind of weaved all those little weird things for months prior to the actual event. Uh, and as far as I know, this sort of everybody's angry because of the Shadow King is probably only confined to the pages of the X-Men. I don't know that for a fact, um, but it also just kind of seems to come out of nowhere. It was hinted at in the previous two Uncanny X-Men issues, but it wasn't it wasn't made very concrete that this was happening on a worldwide scale, or I'm not even sure what the scale is. It just seems like it's in Washington, D.C. right now. Well, that's just because that's where our focus is, but yeah, uh, who knows? It said, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, but is, uh, isn't uh, the Xavier's Mansion, where is that? That's Massachusetts, so we know it's at least in Massachusetts. So it's an East Coast thing? Yeah, I guess. That could be. It's just confined to a, well, East Coast and Scotland. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, anyways, uh, Valerie Cooper's back, and she's called in X Factor. It took them a lot to to track X Factor, and uh, you know the X Factor guys, folks. They're like, "Hey, we just were in space, so we wanted to rest and recuperate. But when you told us what was happening, we knew we had a special set of abilities that would come in handy here." They talk about recovering from an event, which I'm assuming is the loss of their son although he didn't really he wasn't really lost but i mean it's still sort of a big deal i could see them wanting to re, to like just kind of take some time and be like wow right that was a big adventure and and we lost christopher i hope he's okay right and we'll we'll we'll, we'll touch on that at some point in this issue uh so fabian nisieza with lots of help is the writer I'm guessing Chris Claremont probably helped a little bit, but certainly not with the the words. Some of these words are really bad. There were a couple of Chris Claremontisms in there, but I think only two. Yeah. Uh, Will Sportacio's The Penciler, Task Force X. Those were the inkers. Uh, Michael Heisler's The Letter. Dana Moore, Morsehead is the colorist. Bob Harris is Riot Control. Tom DeFalco is Riot Control Controller. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah, things are afoot. And then all of a sudden, in the audience, or not audience, but I guess uh, amongst the crowd of angry people, somebody gets shot. 
X-Factor runs into action and discovers that it's some guy and they figure out who the gunman was. Cyclops takes him out with blast and uh, then the police show up. But then they're worried about like, well, how how can we trust the police? What if they start shooting? Yeah. Everybody's um, all people are screaming beauty scum and taco boy and gorilla lover. What do you think taco boy means? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess gorilla lover, maybe that's referring to beast. I'm assuming it's referring to beast. Taco it, boy. That just seems to come out of nowhere. I don't know what taco boy is. I mean, if somebody was wearing like a, a low V neck shirt with like some, uh, some chest hair poking out, I could see that as like taco boy. <laughs> yeah. Well. Outside of that. I mean, I don't really see it. Yep. Don't know. Uh, Gene's telepathic abilities were restored. Did did I, I, clearly I missed something? When did that happen? I don't know. I almost wish my telepathic powers hadn't been restored. She says. My recollection is that during Inferno, she got like a touch of that power back, but it was more sort of like uh, uh, essences or or feelings, sort of like uh, empathic telepathy. But she's like, my full on telepathic powers are back, and I don't. Uh, maybe I just wasn't paying close enough attention, but I don't really remember. It's probably that. I mean, I wasn't either. I, I'm assuming that somehow she got her full on powers back in the last issue because she didn't have it before that. Yeah. Or maybe she did. Maybe she's had it all along. In the last. And, well, uh, yeah, because she went into like Christopher's mind and Chris, like, yeah. So there was some. To, let's just say that uh, Christopher, before he was put into the time traveling gate or whatever, imparted a bit of his telepathic abilities onto Gene. Or maybe it happened before that. Could I don't be. know. Somebody out there will tell us. Yeah. You guys are dumb. It was in this issue. And you're right. We are dumb. Yeah. Uh, Valerie, They once they get done, they return to hanging out with Valerie Cooper. And then they also, the professor shows up. And he's dressed in a terrible, terribly, uh, I mean, it's a decent looking suit, but man, his pants are really hiked up. Um, you know, he's got some suspenders going on. <laughs> Clearly, space has been very good to him because he, he's built. He's all buff. He's almost, uh, I mean, Colossus is standing behind him and, you know, he doesn't look, he doesn't look. Doesn't look much smaller. Half as small as he normally would uh, standing in front of Colossus. Right. This is no no longer the frail old man uh, from X-Men number one. But uh, yeah, so it's uh, the professor. It's Peter. Peter Rasputin. Peter Nicholas is dead. Who is back? Uh, Henry Peter Gyrick, maybe? I don't know. Or just a rando. Maybe a couple of randos. And I then, think they're randos because they have identical faces. Yeah. And then you've got Agent Reese. Jacob Rice. Who took me a minute to... I saw him evil down there, and for some reason I was like, is that Black Tom Cassidy? Why is he here? <laughs> uh, so Because I, I, in the last issue of the X-Men, they were dealing with this whole thing that Agent Reese's body was like falling apart and it was taking all of his concentration to keep it together. And this looks like a, a healthy, evil-looking man. He figured it out. He was like, oh, that's, that's how I got to keep this body together. This is how I keep myself together. So all of this sort of feels a little out of left field because... Um, there's a lot left unsaid. Like in the last issue of X-Men, he's like, he's with Peter and with, um, uh, dance teacher. Oh Lord, help me. Oh Lord, help me. (laughs) He's a dance teacher and my mind went blank. Oh my gosh. Uh, uh, Stevie Hunter. Stevie Hunter. Oosh, good Lord. Uh, they're like, we must go find my first students. We must go find X-Factor. 
and well, they, they did it. They gained. This feels it, like they gained the beginning of the a White new House. series. Well, yeah, of course, but they gained out uh, access to the White House, access to the FBI, access to Valerie Cooper. Um, it doesn't feel like a part three. It feels like a part one. Right. But anyways, we turn our attention over to Muir Island, which is the heart of darkness. And uh, Forge is uh, explaining to Rogue what he's done. He's got, I don't know, Shadow King inhibitors. Yeah, he says that he the gun that he blasted her with that we speculated was similar to the model that removed powers um, was just a temporary electromagnetic scrambling gun that blocks out the Shadow King's telepathic wavelengths. And then the real deal was the in, he injects a microscopic neurosynaptic buffer, which puts you back in control of your own thoughts and actions. I used it on Wolverine seconds before you showed up. There's some pretty bad dialogue here Yeah, where um, Rogue's like, hey, uh, now what? Can I show off by hitting something? And Wolverine well, says, you'll well, get your chance, go girl. We're going after the king himself. And Forge says, Elvis, nah, we're ready for a showdown with the Shadow King. And there's a lot of that type of dialogue going through this issue, and it's kind of distracting. It's a... Uh... That 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 line is particularly drawing, and I could think of like eight thousand ways that it could be better written. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to like get a joke, and it's like, not Elvis, mind you, we're going after the Shadow King or something like that. I don't know something. But this is like just that. Elvis. Nah. Yeah. We're gonna go take down the Shadow King. <laughs> if I was Wolverine, I would just punch Forge in the face. Yeah, it's like stop being pedantic. You know what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then they start talking about, you know, problem is we can't see him. And then they start theorizing that, you know, maybe he's not of a, a corporeal body. Wolverine says, I, I know all the sense on this island. There's no foreign sense out here. So he's not on this island. Or maybe he doesn't have a human body. Banshee shows up with a large sound and uh, they they fight him. Just dance with him a while. Give me some time to hit him with the scrambler field. Just watch out for his sonic scream. <laughs> Which Rogue does not. She gets caught by the sonic scream uh, and goes down. But all that was enough time for Forge to reload or whatever he's doing and get a shot off at Banshee, knocking him back into uh, the hero's side. Uh, gets a... Oh, and then Wolverine says, make a move, I make an incision. Which... That's that's not what Wolverine would say or do. That's fine. I'm I'm okay with some of these things. They're not great, but no. But see, uh, Wolverine, he's part of. He's he's done. He's not under the Shadow King's corruption. Uh, he he should. I, I feel like his character would be more like, hold on, boy. This will this will only take a minute. I don't want to have to do. I don't have to cut you if I don't have to. Yeah, I agree. I no, I totally agree. I also don't like uh, Banshee's like what in what in. Little repetitive cuss, isn't he? It's like, eh. <laughs> the earlier rogue has, a, how do we stop him without hurting him? He's still under the Shadow King's control. And I get that that's dialogue to explain what's going on, but like, right. Rogue would, Rogue would, has been through stuff like this before. Yeah. She wouldn't say that. She would just go to action. Well, yeah. And she could rephrase it to be something like, I got to stop him without hurting him. This is going to be difficult. He's still under the Shadow King's control. Maybe I'll use my non-hurting touch powers that I have. <laughs> right, yeah, maybe I could absorb his, his powers and make him unconscious. They don't even deal with that in this issue. Yeah, it's, they don't want to. Nope. It's unnecessary. Nope. 
they're like, no, we can't have rogue user power is because it just adds a wrinkle that I don't feel like writing about. <laughs> I don't want to deal with this wrinkle. Yeah. <laughs> so the now that Banshee is back in to uh, the fold, they're now. Um, this ca- seems like a great plan. They should just wait for the rest of the X-Men to show up. <laughs> just one at a time. Yeah. Give them these little inhibitors. And uh, yeah. They're not going to do that. They're going to go after everybody else. They start speculating, or Banshee knows all of this information somehow. The rest of the guys didn't. But Lorna Dane, who we didn't actually know where she was, like last time we saw her, I think she was pulled into a, a like a closet or something like that by Legion, and, and that's the last time we saw her. Uh, she is a nexus between our world and the astral plane. So she... Uh, it is existing between two different realities and funneling in Shadow King aura, I guess. There's something about how her power mutated so that she can be the Nexus. Right. Which, as I recall, her power became, she lost her, she lost her magnetic controls. And now she's she, just, yeah. She, and now she she's not just, lose them. She lost them. Uh, and now she's just big and strong. She, she's big and strong. Yeah. So she doesn't have the magnet powers. Well, didn't we find that what's her name from the Savage Land stole them? Yes, uh, Zaladane. Zaladane, yeah, right. So, so she never got those back. I don't think so. No, not that we've okay. seen. So I, I would say that some of this probably is being rushed. I'm, I'm guessing that these are all probably from notes that Chris Claremont had laid out of how we wanted the story to progress, and over time we'd probably learn what had happened to Lorna Dane in a more natural. Uh, uh, way, but here it's just like, ah, oh, yeah, it, Lorna's, she's the key to all of it, but we don't know where she is. Yeah, it's, and, it's, and, not, it's not great. And I, it's, not, it's not terrible, but it's not great. And I, Banshee, who is under the same control as most of you, somehow know this information, even though you don't know this information. Well, Banshee probably was not under uh, Shadow King's control back when Lorna Dane went missing. No. But neither were these people. But then again, I guess, how does he know that she's a nexus? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I mean, maybe Legion was bragging about it. Oh, I've got Lorna Dane over in the closet in case you're wondering where she was. She's a nexus now. (laughs) Yeah, she's not in the closet. She's between our reality and the astral plane. Maybe. I doubt it, but maybe. Yeah, it does seem a little weird. Okay, uh, we cut to a sub that's under the sea, which is kind of a neat idea that they have to go into a, like a, 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 a big old sub to uh, hide from the Shadow King. But another thing is we'll learn that this sub has properties to protect the Shadow King from detecting what's inside, which is like, why do they have this? I don't know, maybe they just had it, but then uh, it, it the just so was like... Happened talking to Valerie Cooper or Shield or whatever, and he's like, "Do you have a sub? It needs these particular specifications that will protect us from the Shadow King." And then Nick Fury is like, "Yeah, yeah, we got a we got a sub just like that. We actually do. Now that you mention it, we didn't know what we we're gonna do with it. It looks like a Shield helicarrier underwater. Again, this is another element that could have been sort of like ramped up in in multiple issues of you know this is what we need to do to attack the island and make sure that we're undercover." And S.H.I.E.L.D. could be working on this thing while the rest of the X teams are all making their plans and stuff. But here it just exists. And there I like it. I mean, I like the it idea. Makes sense. But it it's, just comes it's out of nowhere. The, it's a neat idea. Yes, it could have been brought mm, in a way that was more coherent. But, you know, right now we're dealing with uh, Jacob Rice having fiery hair in order to tip us off that he's a bad guy. And it's like at first I was like, what's going on? Yeah, and well, in the way that it's drawn and framed out, it kind of looks like he's on a busy screen. 
<laughs> that's at least what I see because there's like a like a like a border underneath his jacket, and then there's like a little bit of fuzz between the professor's uh, collar and that border. So I'm like, is this guy on a monitor? And then I had to look back. I'm like, nope, he's got that same shirt. So. This is Jacob. Oh, this is the Shadow King. Oh, okay. He's somehow yeah, infiltrated yeah. with the prof- and, oh. and if you didn't, if this yeah. is your first issue, you're probably like, why does nobody see that his hair's on fire? Well, then you also in the next panel, you've got like a, a phoenix effect around uh, Jacob Reese. It's like a Shadow King evil, like sort. It's sort of like a face, but it's also like arrows, like pointing at I'm the bad guy. Yeah, bad guy is right here. <laughs> but but uh, again, I'm pretty sure nobody is seeing this. No, it's just to tip us off. Yeah. Uh, and it makes sense here in a minute, but they're all looking at this island on a table that has just a big arrow pointing to it. And I was like, well, okay. <laughs> this is where we're going, guys. Map. We're going to this Here's island. Here's an island. Here's a big arrow identifying but we this do- island and not, not the other one. But we do find out that... Why is Beast standing on the table? Well, because he's Beast. Why is Beast standing on the table in what looks like a sitting position? Well, look, I think what he's supposed to be doing is like he's got one leg up on the table and the other leg is maybe on the floor. He looks like he's ready to roll backwards. Yes, it's it's not great. He he just seems to be like he was uh, rubber stamped in there because <laughs> he doesn't quite exist in any uh, of he's the planes. He's in motion. He's leaping to the table. Maybe. Uh, so what we find and out. The other th- question I had was, who is this short haired blonde lady? But it turns out it's Valerie Cooper with a completely different haircut for right. some reason. Earlier when we saw her, she had her sort of normal blonde long hair. Here it's. Back in sort of like a mullet ponytail because she's got like the bangs, uh, the sides look short, but her ponytail sort of, it was miscolored and it blends in with her jacket. So I I think that's why I got thrown off because it was like. I too was also like, hey, did Valerie Cooper stop off for a haircut or what's (laughs) happening here? And I put all that together. Um, So it turns out that this arrow is a static zone that Forge erected and I somehow notified the professor that this is your attack vector. Oh, so they have to go in through the arrow? Right. That's their path. Everything mm. else can be detected by the Shadow King. How'd they figure that out? Exactly. So again, <laughs> Forge, who is mind-free, as uh, the professor says, uh, I guess between pages, used his sat phone to call up the White House and say, hey guys, uh, I'm going to put an arrow on that sub. And uh, just go, just follow it. <laughs> and that's how we got to where we're at. So I don't understand, like I get, I get that the Shadow King is there, but seeing as how the Shadow King can't, can read anybody's mind on this ship, shouldn't he not be able to control Jacob Reese? I think Jacob Reese is dead and he's using probably the totality of his power to keep that form alive, which is maybe, again... None of this is said in the issue. I am just spitballing here uh, that he can't use his powers. And then you've got the extra factor of the sub preventing. I thought it would be preventing mental penetration, but he's already in there. So I don't know. So he can still control stuff because he's there. Let's let's assume. He just can't read minds. Let's assume that the Shadow King is is sort of like a uh, psychic parasite that is inside of Jacob Breeze. Okay. And he's not an external force at the moment controlling Jacob Reese, which sort of breaks everything we've learned up until this point. Y- yeah. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. Because <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. The whole reason they're on this sub is so that they're not detected by the Shadow King. So they they come up with a plan of how they're going to attack. Uh, they don't want Gene to 
go in for a full frontal attack because she's brand new with her regained telepathic powers, but she can put up some side screens to prevent the Shadow King from knowing that they're attacking. The Professor can't do any of this because the moment he sets himself outside of the sub, the Shadow King will know where he is and attack. He also says the Shadow King has no idea that Jean has regained her telepathic abilities. Sure, yep. He says that while looking suspiciously at Jacob Reese, leading me to believe that oh, this is all part of a trap. Right. But maybe not. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so they, Jacob Reese here, he's very skeptical of the, the whole plan as he lets everybody know. And then we see. And uh, in the next page, he uh, does reveal himself to be the Shadow King. He takes Valerie Cooper aside and says, uh, "This has been pretty awesome." But I thought, I thought he sent Mystique to kill Valerie Cooper. Uh, Shouldn't he be like somewhat surprised? Like, way to survive that 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 whole murder thing. Well, I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm we, a little confused. I, maybe I'm not remembering. How it happened? You know, Mystique goes in and and kills suppose off off panel kills. Valerie right, we Cooper. we see a blam, and it, we don't know what happens. All we see is Mystique go in with a gun, and then we hear a blam. So somebody's dead. It's either Mystique or it's Valerie. Well, but Adam, I thought that, Jacob sent Mystique to kill Valerie Cooper. There's a twist at the end of this issue that is only for the audience and not for oh, yeah, any of the characters that exist in the story. So the only reason that he is not surprised that Valerie Cooper is alive is so that the twist at the end can work. Okay. Uh, but am I am I wrong? that Did he send Mystique to kill Valerie or was that just a thing that Mystique did on her own? No, she. I think she was, he was. Maybe he's not even aware that Valerie Cooper was murdered. I don't know, I guess. I thought she was under the corruption of the Shadow King, but that won't be resolved in this issue. Maybe it'll be resolved in the next issue. But I don't know. As You're, far as... That's, that's uh, being pretty yeah. <laughs> generous. Oh, well, it is. But as far as the Shadow King is concerned, uh, this Valerie Cooper, whomever she might really be, is under his control because they're having this conversation about... I can't kill him now. I want to savor every moment. I want to kill his students in front of him. And then as his students are dying, then I'm going to kill the professor. You know, so so typical, uh, you know, bad guy. Well, he stuff. also says that the telepathic dampeners on the vessel disrupt his powers. Right. So, I mean, that's the main reason. All the other stuff is just kind of gloss. So they, yeah, they spring into action. Give the professor a big hug. And... So good to see you. Uh, bye. I sort of wish that the professor somewhere in this issue, since this is the reunion uh, after many years, would have said to me, my X-Men. <laughs> but he doesn't. For, for a hug. <laughs> <laughs> to me, my X-Men. I want a hug. Uh, I heard about your son, Nathan, Christopher, yep. Xavier, Summers. I'm very, sorry. Very sorry. Does he say Nathan or he just says he, your son? He says Nathan. He does. Okay. And so they are in a little spaceship that's in this sub, and they blast off onto the island. They're working with Colonel Vashkin. Isn't that like a Russian guy that we've seen before? Probably. Wasn't he in the conversation uh, at some point that they were having with a bunch of dignitaries or whatever about the Shadow King? Don't way back in Uncanny Issue 270. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go with that. I, I recall the layout that you're talking about with all the dignitaries talking about the Shadow King. It was a long time ago. I don't know if he was there. Let's just assume he was. 
interesting to have a Russian on a shield sub. I think they would be somewhat cautious about that. Yeah. But I feel like this Vashkin guy has worked with Nick Fury before. Maybe he was even in, in the Savage Land. I don't know. Sure, maybe. Maybe he was the guy who sided with Lord of Dane, or uh, Zaladane. So the X-Factor team, by the way, wearing their X-Men uniforms, their, their blue and uh, yellow X-Men uniforms. Well, except for Iceman, Angel, Beast. It's really just Cyclops and Gene. You don't know what's under Iceman's ice. That's true. Yeah. So they uh, they get attacked by what I would assume, other than Moira McTaggart, are people that Angel wouldn't know. Uh, multiple Man, Psylocke, Gambit, Jubilee, and Moira. So he would well, know Moira. he's reviewed the files. I mean, you well, know, clearly. They, they had all this time in the sub. I'm sure they've the professor has been going over... Like, okay, these are the new X-Men. The professor doesn't really know, know a whole lot exactly. about uh, Psylocke or Gambit or Jubilee, but that, that this is what they look like. Would the professor even know all that much about Madrox? Uh, yeah, because he was there for Madrox in the first appearance of Madrox. Okay. Well, I guess that makes sense. But I sort of wish this dialogue was more like, hey, Scott. I got Moira in my sights and four others that I don't recognize. I think these might be, but he's like, oh, it's Madrox, Moira, Psylocke, Gambit, and Jubilee. (laughs) I recognize them from the files. Yeah, they look just like their photos in the files. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me. Edit point there. Anyways, uh, Cyclops blasts them. Uh, Jubilee calls out, like, oh, it must have been that Cyclops guy shooting Gambit. Not that I mind. Yeah, I'd never seen Gambit hit before. Right. So why does someone's... Why does Psylocke start screaming? I'm assuming this is a Jean Grey attack or something. But someone says, Psylocke, what's happening? It's like, they're attacking us. What do you mean, what's happening? I don't know. It could also be that Cyclops is... Optic blasts ricochets off of Gambit and into Psylocke. It looks like it goes between the two of them. It does. But I'm uh, assuming, yeah, it hits it hits Gambit in the thigh. Beast jumps up and grabs Siren. Uh, Iceman freezes Madrox. And our, our Archangel says, hey, don't even think about running Moira. No way he can duplicate himself if he's encased in solid ice. <laughs> when has that any, ever stopped anybody? <laughs> It's just going to bust out. Cyclops radios in and says, we met some resistance, but we took care of it. Um, looks like the Shadow King's playing a mental game, not really a physical game. Don't be lulled by defeating the puppets when the puppeteer is still control. And be careful of Legion. He may be the host. And then with Wait, a loud... The host of what? And then with a loud swoosh, Legion shows up. Or he may not. Yep. Either way, boys, girls, gorillas, second mention of gorillas. Right. So I guess that is beast. No no mention of tacos, though. No tacos this <laughs> time. Tacos feels like a Deadpool thing. doesn't? And Fabian Nicieza probably does write a lot of Deadpool at some point. Maybe, but... Maybe that's where Deadpool got the tacos, just because Fabian Nicieza is obsessed with tacos. Could be. Taco lover. It feels, I got tacos in. It feels like a... Feels like a racial slur, to be honest, but uh, yeah, I suppose that, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it could be. So it's really out of place in, in that dialogue. So everything is on fire because uh, Legion attacks with a pyrotechnic assault. 
Jean couldn't get a teak shield up, but Iceman is able to douse the flames. And this is when Jacob Reese, as the Shadow King, springs into action and grabs uh, the professor by his neck and says, watch as your students die, and then I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Val need help. Hurry. And he's like, no. She's not going to help. She's mine. She's been my human. Uh, Jacob Rice has been my human host for months. And what I, I do and, like, uh, I do like the crazy faces on Legion and the new sort of crazy faces on the Shadow King. I like those little yeah. touches. And, I mean, the art in this uh, issue isn't the usual kind of, I don't know what's happening most of the time. It's a little bit better than that. It's more cleaned up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I can follow the action in this. A lot of uh, traits that we will see moving into, you know, as we continue through the 90s. Uh, mostly good stuff here from an art perspective. So the Shadow King says, Valerie's mine. But then Valerie's like, huh, nuh-uh. And she turns into Mystique and shoots Jacob Reese in the face. How, says the Shadow King? And his his whole head lights up on fire. Yeah. Like, as it was previously. Yeah. So... Legion is, is this really happening? I don't know. Legion, I guess, regains some control or something happens. He's got a question mark. He screams real loud. And then we see Lorna Dane in between, I guess, our reality and the astral plane. We do get a little bit of dialogue about how Bobby, it's not specifically said out there, but they're like, Bobby, we know how you feel about Lorna because they dated for like an issue way back when. Yeah, I was trying to remember when was that? That was pre um, Chris Claremont, so it was in the old uh, days, oh, pre Havoc. Okay. So it was before they Havoc and uh, Lorna Dane met. Exactly. So Iceman dated Lorna Dane. Beast was dating Vera. Well, they're thinking they have to kill her, but mm -hmm. then Ford shows up and says, "Don't touch Polaris." Yeah, they they sort of they run up a lot of dialogue around the sort of no win situation of like we do nothing and the world's gone. We do something and Lorna's got to die. What are we gonna do? And that's when Forge busts in. If you break the link she has now, you may as well be killing her, says Wolverine. Yes. Good to see you made it here alive, X-Guys. Right. And I guess we're seeing from Lorna's perspective what's happening. Uh, yeah, sort of. And they keep saying, Scott, if we don't do something soon, the Shadow King will recorporate himself on the physical plane. I can feel it happening. This is Gene talking. Gene's right. In English, the poop's about to hit the fan. <laughs> and Iceman says, oh, well, but if we act now, we'll kill Lorna. This isn't a good choice. They don't get to make that decision because Legion springs into action and he's all wacky and crazy. Uh, and I love what's happening with his face here. And uh, he says, well, I guess he's been taken over by the Shadow King. It says, out of luck, out of hope. I have taken a few hosts, perfect tools to avenge myself. Say goodbye, children of the Atom. Your dream is dead. And the entire island explodes as he yells out. And finally... So are you. To be concluded in Uncanny X-Men 280. So if I am not mistaken, 280 is the last of of uh, this before the red and blue team. Because I think 281 is the issue that starts with the whole all new, all different, here we go again. Yeah, I think so. Wow. It's all coming together, Adam. Chris Claremont is gone. But you know who's not gone? Oh, I mean, I guess, what did you think of that issue? Oh, it was all right. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> this whole thing is, uh, you know, I, th I think we made it pretty clear as we were going through it that it's not, it's a little messy. It's rushed. Um, it's not the greatest. I feel it, it. It feels like it could be more than it is. It feels like a uh, 
handing over of properties to the new team. Yeah, it you take what's happening here, and as we've read, you know, from those interviews and stuff, and you you put it on the whole mutant wars. You bring Genosha in, you bring maybe some Hellfire Club, and you like really make three different factions, uh, and then sort of amp up like the human condition, uh, but you spread it over you know, a, a year maybe of just sprinkling it in during miscellaneous adventures and then finally come to the, uh, you know, the four-part ending series. I think you have an impactful story. But this is this is just, well, let's wrap up all these loose ends because Jim Lee. Pretty much. <laughs> but, we got new art teams. We're starting to, we're launching a new book. Yep. This is, this is exciting times. Let's out with the old and with the new. Yep, at the sacrifice of some existing archetype stories. But I guess it is what it is, right? You're playing with somebody else's uh, toys, and that can't last forever. So, Yeah. Anyways, Wolverine, uh, Larry Hama, he knows what he's doing. This is kind of a uh, slowdown from the cast couple of issues, breakneck pace. Wolverine needs a break. It, and so it, he goes and takes a break and runs through Central Park and goes to a zoo and meets a Wolverine, which is kind of fun. I got to ask you, Adam, when you 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 were collecting all of these, so like when you yes, read this issue, were you into it or were you like, not enough action? I love this book. This I, this particular I, issue I or? was never like, I don't know. I this was this and Ghost Rider at the time were the stuff I was enjoying the most. So I enjoyed every issue of this. Because I was going to say like this sort of. Um, uh, it goes against like the grain of like there's not a ton of action that that occurs in here you get some some additional story elements with uh uh elf what's this uh um the robot guy albert albert thank you i was gonna say alfred but it's, that's not right <laughs> albert and lcd you get a little bit more with mask uh, but really it's it's really all about like you said wolverine is just like too much has happened i need to clear my head uh i need to go run in the jungle uh, but then, yeah, he, he encounters a wounded Wolverine and he meets a man like who's got some mental issues, who's been abusing not only animals, but also killing humans. And so Wolverine's now got to deal with this situation. He killed the zoo janitor and Wolverine sends the wounded Wolverine after him, which I don't know, feels like that could go one of two ways. I feel like Wolverine should probably follow to make sure this turns out the okay way. Right. Well, make sure that the Wolverine... We know that the implication here is that that Wolverine's going to tear apart that that crazy guy. But what happens to the Wolverine after that, Adam? And now we've got a wild Wolverine running around New York. Some police officers are going to see it and shoot it. That's not a good outcome. So So I'm I'm imagining that maybe Wolverine's following. Let's (laughs) pretend. Because he he does. It does look like he's just kind of wandering off in that general direction the yes. lamppost is used in both shots so maybe he's just following to make sure everything goes to plan and then he returns the wolverine to the zoo no here's what i think happens <laughs> he goes out in the woods make sure that everything's handled uh uses his animal empathy power which we've only ever seen him use once uh, to calm the wolverine and then he boards an airplane takes the wolverine to canada and sets it free in the canadian wild oh yeah that's even better <laughs> that's what happens okay uh but meanwhile um uh, yukio uh, lady yuriko, uh, yuriko lady district yes oyamo or lady district shows up and she's um tracking wolverine she sees a couple of articles that lead her to believe that she knows that Wolverine's in town. She throws the 
paper out of the window, which lands in the uh, river, the East River, presumably, uh, which lands on what looks like a dead saber-tooth head, but he smells the hate and the acrid stench, uh, which I guess revives him. I think it's all an, an allegory, of course, but... Yeah, I mean, he was going to be fine anyway. Yeah. He has a healing factor. As long as old Sabretooth can stand on his own two feet, that son of mine, Logan, had better watch out. Meanwhile, Albert is running around the sewers with the LCD head, and he encounters the Morlocks and demands that they help him uh, to recharge because he's going to build her a new body. So, you know, we've had sort of the debate between, like, filler issues um, and I think on the one hand, you could maybe look at this as a filler issue. I really enjoyed it. And I looked at it more of like a little bit of a palate cleanser. Like let's slow down the action. Let's kind of reestablish where all of our players are. And let's put this weird, interesting thing in the background just so that Wolverine has something to do. Yeah. It's, it's, it's also sets up a lot of the upcoming plot points. So yeah, it's, it's, you're right. It's a palate cleanser. Yeah. And I, I, uh, the next issue that where Wolverine has a flashback is a filler issue. Oh, <laughs> well, I can't wait to read that. <laughs> and it's written by Peter David, so it's probably a good filler issue. Well, it could be. I mean, filler issues aren't necessarily bad. So let's talk about, I, th- I want to end, I think, with X-Force number one. So let's go to Excalibur number 40. Okay. Which uh, is a, a fun issue. This is the Trial of Lockheed. So remember, at the end of... The Limbo adventure, Lockheed had sort of not sacrificed himself, but put himself in harm's way to save the team. Now he's dying. Uh, Captain Britain has used his influence to get these doctors to work on this dragon, and they keep finding all of these like additional lungs and, and uh, organs and such. But meanwhile, uh, Lockheed's, I don't know, mental form ascends to this spaceship, in which we find out that he has run away from his people uh, and they put him on trial. He had like a fiance, a dragon fiance. It's hard to know if this is a... um, I'm assuming this is a fever dream that will get retconned because this is just... I don't know. This is too silly to be real. Right. Is it a fever dream? Is Is it actually like the origin here of Lockheed? And this issue really serves as... You've read a lot of my Excalibur issues. Maybe you don't know who all these people are that we're talking about. So I'm going to basically give Lockheed, the the rest of the dragons, a origin of the X-Men, of X-Factor, of Nightcrawler, of Rachel. Basically the origin of all of these characters that are on this team. To prove, I guess, that humans are worthy of dragon accompaniment or something like that. Apparently, if you are a member of the race of dragons and you leave, you are to be sentenced to death. Right. They talk about uh, Lockheed's past as a, it's interesting that his name is Lockheed, but anyway, uh, his past as the uh, warrior who killed a lot of brood and killed a lot of Sidri. Mm -hmm. And he is, uh, he's a renowned, the best warrior of the, the, the dragon people. But then he left his wife on the altar, as you mentioned, and then he has to basically explain why. Yeah, and he does uh, the dragons. He's able to. Well, there's a moment in which something's going to happen on the ship that's going to put them all in danger. Lockheed springs into action, and they're like, "Hey, you can do the thing you're going to do, but if you don't come back, we'll know you're guilty." And so he jumps up, 
Uh, one of the other dragons, I guess, had fallen asleep in the cockpit, so Lockheed knows how to fly the ship, and he's able to execute evasive actions or something like that. Saves the ship of dragons, comes back to his trial, and they're like, oh, we didn't think you'd come back. Well, since you did, we're not going to kill you, but you're banned from us. Go back. And so... So he- a, couple, a couple of interesting things is that they do confirm that uh, Rachel does have the Phoenix entity in her. Yes, Although I don't know if it's the Phoenix entity or if it's an alternate reality since she comes from an alternate future. Right. So there might be two Phoenix entities in this universe now. Yep. Um, the other interesting thing is that when Lockheed starts describing the cross-time caper to all of the dragons, it puts all of them to sleep. Yeah. yeah that, which is <laughs> kind of funny. just a kind of commentary on that whole That whole storyline, which could have been good but was, was really boring. So the, there's a helicopter that lands on top of the hospital. So Lockheed is basically put back into his body. Um, and Excalibur runs up to the to the roof to see what's going on. And they see that the X-Men have come to visit. But it's, it's Jean Grey in her X-Factor uniform. It's Storm with her short hair, uh, Colossus, Psylocke, Rogue, and Wolverine. Is this like a blue team, gold team thing? Or why is Gene there? Adam, I don't think these are the real X-Men. Oh, you think this is a this is a fake thing? This is okay. like a, I don't know what it is, but it's like a mojo thing or a tech net thing or a crazy gang thing. Uh, Sorry to learn about the dragon, kid. We came as soon as we heard, says Wolverine. So yeah, it's Wolverine, Rogue, Psylocke, Colossus, Storm, and Jean Grey. But none of them, well, I shouldn't say none of them, uh... Sci- or Marvel Girl, Colossus, and I think Storm are not quite costume appropriate for the timeline that they're in. Psylocke, Storm's, Rogue, and well, Wolverine. Storm's are. got the, the short hair. Um, does she have short hair now or does she let it grow back out? I feel like this is her costume from X-Men 281. I don't know. It To me, it looks like the costume she had before she was blasted out of the sky by um, Orphan Maker. Maybe. You might be right. So it it seems to me that crazy things are about to happen in the next issue of Excalibur, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Well, good. Something's got to happen. <laughs> um, Deathlock number two uh, has Forge, and that's really all there is to say about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> so Deathlock number two, Avengers number 335, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. number 25, all of these featured x-men in them yes uh deathlock number two was kind of fun forge is hanging out with somebody <laughs> oh it's it's a uh, misty night it's a uh, misty night yeah. yeah and misty night i don't know if we ever saw this i'm sure we did and we forgot about it she's got some cybernetics in her arm and that's yeah. how she's able to gain the trust and how she's able to explain how she's able to locate deathlock because deathlock hides and goes into the cybernet to do research on how he can get back into his Michael Collins body. Right. So Forge gets kidnapped by some sort of uh, spaceship monster. And then, like you said, she needs to find Deathlock for help. There's this whole kind of cyber community uh, established in this issue, which was kind of interesting that I guess... Forge is a part of because of his leg and his arm. He's got he's got multiple cybernetics on his body. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he's not in most of the issue, but he does show up at the end uh, where they have broken into the bad guy facility, and a lot of people are being 
held in one of those classic doomsday machines. Right. Think of the Wheel of Mutants from so long ago. Like that, but more a modernized version where everybody is like hanging in the air kind of in a in a uh, uh, extinction agenda sort of way. Right. Uh, and then Avengers number 335. That Basically, there's two stories in it. And the second story is Beast. Well, the, the Reserve Avengers, as they're called. So you got Ant-Man, Beast. I'm actually doing this from memory. Quasar, some other folks. And they're trying to revive the Collector so that they can find something. And yeah, Beast is there the, doing science stuff. In the A story, the uh, the the Collector had let loose this super tough bad guy that is kicking the Avengers butts. So in the B story, Beast and team are attempting to figure out what they can get from the collector to uh, resolve that A story. Basically they yeah. need an edge because yeah. the, the A story villains, Thane Ector or something like that. I can't yes. remember uh, are so tough that they're going to need an edge and they end up uh, Ant-Man ends up shrinking Beast himself and the collector and they go into a tiny little spaceship um, because the collector, in order to collect things, he shrinks things so that he can, which is a great idea for saving space. Right. I wish I could do that with all my stuff. <laughs> yeah. It'd be great. Uh, and they get attacked by a monster. It was all right. It was fine. Um, I don't know when this takes place, uh, given how busy Beast has been. I know, right? Is this before or after where we are? I'm sure we'll never know. Yeah. Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., basically has a cameo of Wolverine who's in Madripoor, and he senses that there's a problem with Nick Fury, and he's going to have to help. Yeah. Which and is he's weird. being attacked by ninjas who are... Are they ninjas? I don't remember. I don't remember. Uh, the, he's being attacked by someone who is trying to get through Nick Fury through Wolverine. Seems right. like a bad idea, but... And this okay. is also another like when does this take place because Wolverine is also very busy with other well, things. Well this is this is a this has got to be a pre-dating where we are now cuz he's isn't he firmly in his patch cuz he's in Madripoor for sure. I don't recall it. Well he refers to his patch though. He says like Logan, Patch, Wolverine. So yeah. but he definitely has I don't know if he has the eye patch on but he's got he's not wearing his Wolverine garb, he's not wearing his Logan garb. It I seems like the previous issue his he was because he, he had a two-page cameo there, too. I think there he was Patch. Yep. But after he got a, attacked, he might have lost the Patch. Exactly. Uh, and then uh, Marvel Comics presents number 71. It's two stories in this one. Did you read the Warlock story? Um, I read it a couple weeks ago, and then I skimmed it yesterday. So, I mean, yes-ish. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> it's, it's fun. I mean, it's it's not anything memorable, but, you know, War, uh, Warlock goes on a little adventure with an FBI agent against a bunch of doctors who have... Uh, of have the ability now to mutate themselves so that they essentially have warlocks powers without all of the cyber stuff. Yeah. But they're, yeah, they're fleshy. Yeah. So you get like and, weird, uh, weird fleshy creatures that are, what do they call themselves? The, I thought they the called flesh themselves tones. like mutates or something. Oh, it was uh the flesh tones. Yeah. That's what it was. Which is a fun name. And I thought they were a band, but well, there's, <laughs> Well, there's Bella Fleck and the Flecktones, so I don't know if that's an homage. The Flecktones is an homage oh, to the Flecktones, but it's a deep cut. Maybe not. Yeah, I mean, they, they were they were, uh, they were pretty popular around this time. Maybe Scott Labdell was into them. Who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah, and Warlock basically outsmarts them by being a better Warlock than they are. Yep. 
and he ends up tar and feathering them. But what did you think about the um, Ghost Rider story? So uh, it felt like, um, so this was part eight of eight, and it it kind of wraps up what essentially was a nothing burger. Um, <laughs> like nothing, nothing really happened at all. It turns out that it was one of Death Watch's henchmen who organized this whole thing as a plan to get Ghost Rider to kill uh, this new guy, Brass and Wolverine. And Death Watch is just learning about this. So he's like, he's kind of, I like, he kills the, the guy who was, sets up the plan immediately. And then he's like, but he was right. Ghost Rider, you really should kill them. And then Ghost Rider starts attacking Wolverine and Brass. But it's, uh, he's actually just throwing them through various walls to figure out where the prisoners that they were looking for are. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're captive friends. And that uh, was kind of fun. It's silly that he's just like throwing them through walls. <laughs> mm. it's, it's stupid. I don't know. Uh, then Deathwatch is like, well, you found them, so I'm going to blow up the building. And he blows up the building and they all escape. Um, this whole story was just kind of, I don't know. It, it, one of the ones that I, I I liked as a kid, but this is one of the ones that really didn't work right. as a eight-page uh, eight-part story. Right. You needed maybe like a, a two-part miniseries or a three-part miniseries. This could have been an issue of Ghost Rider. Oh. And you could have you could have just as easily done all of this stuff, and it probably would have been more co- coherent than this was. Mm. So that'll take us over to X-Force number one. So I read this, and then immediately the next day... I forgot what had happened. So I had to re-review it yesterday just to make sure. Because I was like, I was trying to recall what happened in this issue. And I was like, I don't remember anything about this, but I read it. <laughs> so I had to re-go in. And there is a couple of stuff that happens here. But man, this this does not stick with you. Or at least it didn't stick with me. I, I don't actually mind this issue, to be honest. Uh, I mean, you know, I think Rob Liefeld, who who is in the credits as <clears throat> everything but words, letters, color, editor, editor-in-chief. And I'm like, well, what is that? That's just artist. And I guess plotter. But it's very egotistical to be like, everything. I did everything on this, uh, but I didn't do the words. I didn't do the letters. Uh, I didn't do the color. I wasn't editor, and I wasn't the editor-in-chief. But I did everything else. So everything I think else. he did the story. Yes. The and story, the, the plot. And he yeah. did the inking. But I'll Which is th- really that's all you need to say. Rob Liefeld, story, art, inking. Yeah, yeah. Um, and all things considered, the issue's not not actually all that bad. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how this whole thing you know plays out over his thirteen issues that he ultimately ends up doing on this. But um, it's basically a raid of 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 a thing, and I felt like the issue didn't get interesting until the raid was over. It, well, exactly right. So he kicks it off. Uh, Empire Strikes Back style with a big old battle and uh, just dropping you right into the action and then midway through the issue after the action is done then we get a little bit of story building. Uh, A couple of interesting things that happened during this fight is that Shatterstar cuts off some dude's hand and we get to see it which is which is pretty crazy. I guess this dude's name is Reaper. 
We've never seen anything like that before. Oh, well, like there's blood coming out of the, and it's not like oh, super graphic. And then the hand just like flying out towards us. <laughs> uh, that's, I feel like something that we haven't really seen sort of yeah, as graphically right. depicted. Um, and then the other thing is that strife is like, okay, well, this isn't going to go very well. So we have to blow the place up, execute protocol, Nathan, zero, 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 zero. You're like, he well, does refer to cable as Nathan or whatever you're calling yourself these days. But yeah. his self-destruct code is Nathan zero, zero, zero. And then he refers to cable as Nathan or whoever you're calling yourself today, these days, yeah. which is all I do like that strife is standing on the panels. He's like got his in, in this <laughs> yes. full page uh, first introduction of strife. Yes. He, his one leg is up and he's standing on two panels. And of course, I've complained about this before, but uh, Strife's costume is so impractical. He's got these little horns that hang down over his chest, meaning that he wouldn't be able to turn his head because it's all metal. Then he's got all these little Wolverine flaps uh, on his head, which would make turning his head in the wind. Oh my gosh, a disaster. And then his shoulders have all these spikes that these little fins would bang up against. Um this to me is like what you draw in sixth grade and like, oh, dude, this is awesome. But the practicality of this outfit uh, is zero. <laughs> well, you, you can see an example of that in the leg that I mentioned that he is standing on the panels. It's bent upwards. And in order to make that happen, it has to be drawn over the top of something that is his, that he doesn't bother like showing how it moves aside. His metal loincloth, yeah, which basically means that metal loincloth is just cut through his inner thigh so he can put his <laughs> yeah. leg up there. He's bleeding out. Yeah, exactly. Again, maybe he has an awesome healing factor. I also sort of like his computer, which looks like it has a very large Vizzy screen, but otherwise it's just yellow, pink, and red panels that I assume are just like flashing and making like boop, boop, boop noises. Uh, it's like classic 60s sci-fi. Exactly. That's what he imagined the room sounds like. Exactly. So there's more fighting and the uh, zero dude teleporter uh, teleports all the bad guys away. And uh, is this where we first get introduced to the body slide? I thought, I don't know. Like I thought that we had seen it before, but it could just be because I'm familiar with it. It's a neat, it's a neat name, yeah. whatever it is. Scoutcraft one location to our coordinates, body slide by six. And then everybody teleports to their little ship. Um, and then Gideon, we get some Gideon and uh sunspot story. They're basically going to go take over a company and they're also doing some fight training for some reason, which is fun. Cause I thought I didn't realize we were still, that sunspot was still in this book. I was like, Oh, he didn't get rid of sunspot. I, he, he's just not on the team and we're still kind of following him. I, feel I wonder like, how long that'll last. Yeah. I feel like he's going to get added to the team or maybe he joins the MLF. I'm not really sure, but I think he remains a, a part of the book. But either way, they're going to go buy out some company. Um, Gideon's very proud of Sunspot. He's like, you really understand all this business and, and how to yield this power. And uh, so they're, they're going to go off and do this thing. Uh, meanwhile, we meet another guy who... We meet George Washington Bridge, who's a character I always liked. Uh, he is a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent who's on the, the who's tracing Cable. He has intimate history with Cable. And he's basically like the, uh, I don't know, the... In, if this were a TV series, he's just the guy who's in every episode trailing Cable. He's he's the Mr. McGee of uh, of uh, Cable. 
It's fun. Do you know who Mr. I like? I have always liked George Washington Bridge. I wonder where he is now. Did Did you get my Mr. McGee? Reference? I don't know who Mr. McGee is. Are so you kidding me? It, it would. Uh, the it inc- just went over my head. The Incredible Hulk. I know who Mr. Magoo is. The, the Incredible Hulk. There's Mr. McGee. Yeah, don't make me angry, Mr. That's McGee. That's the That's the guy who followed Mr. McGee, uh, Hulk around on the show. Was yeah. Mr. McGee? Uh, I'm gonna go. Look His this name up. was really Mr. McGee. <laughs> Pretty sure. Uh, I'm gonna look this up now. I'm probably wrong. That's terrible. <laughs> Hulk. I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong for sure because I definitely don't know. Uh, I know there was a there was a reporter who was following a Hulk around. Yeah, Mr. McGee. Don't make his, me angry. His name he was, was really like, Mr. McGee. Yeah. Wow. I don't know That's what just, his first name awful. was. I'm sure his first name was mentioned in the series, but I don't remember what it, Jack McGee is what IMDb says. But yes, he was Jack McGee, and he was basically this reporter that was trying to uncover who who the Hulk is and was constantly on Banner's tail. So yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I'm also talking about in the fugitive. There was always the cop who was after the fugitive. Oh sure, uh, what's his face? Well, in the movie, it was what's his face. Yeah, in the TV exactly. show, I have no idea who it was. In any event, this guy's got very similar tech to what Cable would have on his head. He's got you know little uh, what looked like Robotech antennas sticking off of his head. Uh, he doesn't He's look basically cy- Cable without the cybernetics. Exactly, he's not cybernetically altered. He just has a lot of tech around him. Uh, which is very awesome. Uh, and then we find out that X-Force has moved into, is this the anthill? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, because it's like the Adirondack Mountains upstate, and they're like, well, we read the professor's files, and this is Larry Trask's old Sentinel base. Yeah. So I think, remember we read something a little earlier where they had to clear out the Sentinels because they were all laid out, and they kind of shot them off into the moon once again, or the sun or whatever, uh, and, and now it's just vacant. So somebody, I... I want to give the credit to Rob Liefeld, but I don't think it was his idea, decided like, hey, how come X, how, how, why don't X-Force was, take over the It was probably because he wrote that. Ah. Didn't he, didn't he like co-write that, uh, the, the last part of, or no, he, I guess he didn't have anything to do with it, did he? I, I want to, I want to believe that whoever wrote that sort of Avengers follow-up story was doing it to clean it all up for this story, just so that there could yeah, be maybe. like a connective, because that's kind of a neat thing, if that's the case. So, yeah, we, we get a little bit of a, a backstory of Cable. Um, we get a little retcon because previously yep. Cable had been talking about how his son her, was reminded – he re, his son reminded him of Richter or something like that. Right. But now we're going back and saying, he wasn't actually my son. We were friends, really good friends. We worked together. But then Strife came along and killed him. So he was like a son to me, but he wasn't my son. Yeah. Yeah. And then – in this is the worst part. It looks like they're yelling at each other, uh, Cable and Cannonball. Right. And then they shake hands and we get some horrible dialogue in which Cannonball says, Every day I learn something about you that either makes me want to bust you one or respect you even more. <laughs> That's pretty dumb. <laughs> so Domino comes down, Cannonball heads up, and oh, surprise! Cable's got telekinetic powers. That only Domino knows about. Which I was like, does he still have those? I don't even remember this. Well, I mean, this is all of the stuff that is going to ultimately connect him to Nathan Christopher Summers. And I think they're doing it here. Maybe. I don't know. But out of nowhere, he starts because he's been working on the 
little X-Force jet, and uh, now he's telepathically moving hammers, wrenches, and drills, and Domino's like, hey, what are you doing? The kids might see. And he's like, oh, I'm being careful. Don't worry about it. When are you going to tell them? When it's when the time is right. <laughs> Which is like, what? <laughs> Why would There's you keep the secret? Them to learn. They'll learn. Why would they keep the secret? It doesn't make any sense. So Their then, bark is nothing compared to my bite. So then uh, Gideon and Sunspot show up for this Jankos stock buyout conversation, but it turns out they're up against Black Tom Cassidy, who also wants to buy out this company. And apparently is holding them all hostage. Right. And he's like, no, you're all my hostages. <laughs> Gideon and Sunspot are very surprised by this. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. And so then we see the George Washington dude flying a helicopter. He radios into uh, Nick Fury, who says, you got to get cable. I hate that cable guy. We've been tracking that cable guy. And George Washington's like, hey, why didn't you capture him when you had him in the helicopter in that Wolverine issue? <laughs> this is the thing about that is there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of crossover of Nick Fury this month. We got Wolverine and Nick Fury, Nick Fury and Wolverine, Nick F- yeah, Nick Fury and Cable and Wolverine, and now Nick Fury talking to, yeah, and and maybe I don't know. That's a good question. Why, why didn't he uh, say, hey, hey, Cable, uh, come with you're, me? You're wanted. What's going on? You're under arrest, <laughs> or whatever they need with him. So George Washington's like, well, how am I going to do with this? I guess uh, I need to be patched into General Clark and the Canadian military. I need Department K. It's time to call in Weapon X. Weapon X. And then we get... Uh, That's Wolverine. No, it's Deadpool. Well, you know. No, it's not going to be either of those people. It's some it's, random it's, dude. It's, yeah, it's a whole new thing. Yep. I remember being very excited by issue two of X-Force, and now I get to see if it lives up to my memories. It won't. It, it will, it, <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> It will absolutely not live up to it. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, from an introductory, an introductory standpoint, not bad. I mean, like like you mentioned, like, the action is very much forgettable. You're sort of like, why are they doing this raid on the Mutant Liberation Front? On one hand, you think, are they trying to rescue Skids and Richter? I don't even remember if they get mentioned. Maybe they do. I think they're just trying to shut down the MLF, uh, but they escape, and then... But that was they they don't succeed. Yeah, and Cannonball was questioning like why didn't we go after them and and Cable's like, "Well, this was a very good first exercise. We don't need to boil the ocean. We just needed to do this little little mission here." And Cannonball questions and and then, you know, the more I learn about you, the more I want to slug you, respect you. <laughs> so, uh. Not not terrible, um but I'm I'm sure it'll go off the rails pretty quick. Well, I'm sure it'll go off the rails, but then get back on the rails because I believe Rob Liefeld's only in for like the first 10 to 15 issues. Yeah, I want to say it's I want to say they all kind of bailed out around issue 12 or 13. So about a year from the 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 kickoff of this whole new X universe. Yeah, I mean, we're already pretty much the last I think issue 14 of Spider-Man is the last issue of uh, McFarlane's. So. We covered issue 12 last, no, it wasn't, no. it was issue, issue 10. I don't remember what it was, but at any rate, like he's, he's already ready to go. Yeah. And everything else is just starting. Yeah. And so they're going to be leaving very shortly. Huh. Yeah, that's right. Spider-Man had a good, 
I don't know, three or four issue lead on everything else. But I thought he made it to like his. So there was the five five issue opening thing. There was a two issue Ghost Rider crossover. There was the five issue Wolverine yeah. crossover. So that's so we just covered issue that's twelve. Twelve, yeah. And then there's like so another issue thirteen came out this month. It's the two part Morbius. It's Morbin time crossover. Yeah. And then there's the X Force crossover. Yeah, that's only and a then single he's done. issue. Is it, it right after the X Force crossover? They're done. And Mc, he's done. Uh, McFarlane's done. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then he turns it over to Eric Larson, who does a Sinister yeah. Six story. And then I think it's like a six-part Sinister Six crossover, because I had to buy some of those, because they had Ghost Rider in them. Yeah. I, that's how I was back then. Yeah, well, all right. I bought those six issues just to, I don't know, because I bought the first part. It's like, well, I'll buy all six of these. And then I think I was out. Interesting. Well, maybe, so Todd McFarlane, maybe he just left early to get the company going. I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Don't know. Well, anyways, that's it for us this time yeah. around. Yeah, man. Everybody. That was uh, uh, that was A-side plus B-sides. So if you want to get in contact with us and correct all of our errors and omissions, you may do so by visiting us at www.xmenpodcast.com, going out to facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast, tweeting us at Danger Room Go, emailing us dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com, go out to iTunes or anywhere you subscribe to podcasts to like, subscribe, and leave stars and all that jazz. And uh, visit our sort of dormant patreon.com a lot of content out there we'll be firing it back up fairly quickly here but that's patreon.com forward slash danger room uh and our theme music is provided by laszlo hollyfeld uh, and the next time that you join us on the patreon you'll learn because we talked a little bit about video games last time around we're not gonna do that this time but you'll learn did jeremy actually play zelda as challenged by adam and did he like it and as a side note did adam play zelda as well oh that's right that was sort of like a like you do it and i'll do it and we'll see where we end up did any of that happen we don't know well we know exciting (laughs) so there you go did two men in their 40s play a game from the 1970s 80s come on was it the 80s 80s. i don't know it was like 84 come on give us some credit yeah sure whatever (laughs) uh i don't know i I just i think i was born and i had a nintendo (laughs) you were born with a nintendo in hand yeah yeah well, Adam, you got anything else? No, no, no. Uh, wrap it up. I don't have anything Plus else ball. either. So until next time, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the Danger Room is closed. <laughs>